evening, and welcome to the Phantasmagorium. I am your host, the Creeper of Channel X. Tonight's tale is a holiday treat in celebration of the birth of General George Washington, a military leader, founding father, and the first president of the United States. There, however, was a dark side to his legacy which has been hidden from the public for more than 200 years. Tonight, we reveal what transpired on the night of George's death and over the following days. We now present to you the truth about George Washington's death. Last summer, I got a job working at the National Archive. My job was to digitize legacy documents from the paper archives so that our records would take up less space and hopefully not erode over time like our printed documents do. As you could guess, this required security clearance, as many of the documents that I needed access to were classified. One of the document sets that I was tasked with converting was attributed to a Dr. William Thornton, a physician, architect, painter, and inventor who lived from the mid-1700s to around 1830. Not only was he trained in the greatest medical schools in Europe, but he also designed the original U.S. Capitol building in D.C., the Library Company of Philadelphia, and many other well-known buildings. Most of the content of his file is freely available, but I did come across a subset of files that are not public. I didn't think anything of it at first, because this was far from the first set of classified documents that I've had to convert. Once I started conversion, I became horrified with what I saw. With the level of security involved, I couldn't just take the original files with me. So, I had to sneak photos of what I could with my phone. Even this was risky, as us employees weren't really allowed to use our phones in the archive, precisely for this reason. From this point, I'll try to reproduce what Dr. Thornton wrote in his notes. Some of the photos I took were a bit blurry as I was taking them in haste to ensure I wouldn't be caught photographing these highly classified documents. So, I've tried to fill in the blurry holes as accurately as possible based on what I was looking at. After transcribing at home, I deleted the images from my phone. If I were to be caught with these in my possession, I could be facing prison time, and possibly even charges of treason. The doctor's notes begin here. Friday, December 13th, 1799. Today I received a message via courier from George's family requesting that I pay a visit to see if I could help restore his health. Apparently he had fallen ill on the previous night of December 12th with some sort of throat ailment, possibly an infection. During my travel from Philadelphia to Washington's home at Mount Vernon, I devised a plan to relieve George's misery by way of tracheotomy if need be. December 14th. According to George's secretary, Tobias Lear, George had called for him around 10 o'clock today. He was having a hard time speaking, but once he was able, he spoke these words. I am just going. Have me decently buried, and do not let my body be put into the vault in less than three days after I am dead. This left Tobias speechless, so he had to bow in agreement instead of speaking. Mr. Washington then added, Do you understand me? Tobias then found the strength to speak but a single word. Yes. To this, George replied, Tis well. 
I can surmise that George must have been afraid of being buried while still alive, as this does happen from time to time. In fact, one of the Washington family's friends told me a story of an older man who had been ill at the age of 20, and after nine days of illness was pronounced dead by his physician. The man's mother refused to allow him to be taken away or buried until she was absolutely sure of his death. The next morning, he opened his eyes. This came as a shock to the doctor and many other family members. Even today in 1799, we still have much to learn about the mysterious things that we call life and death. Perhaps it is not of the permanence that we believe. I arrived in my carriage by moonlight at Mount Vernon very late on the evening of the 14th, which was technically the early morning hours of the 15th. When I saw Martha, she hugged me tightly, and I asked where I could find George. Through tears she spoke, I'm afraid it is too late, Dr. Thornton. My husband stopped breathing a short time ago, before you arrived. I'm afraid he's gone. This can't be, I thought to myself. After a few seconds and a few deep breaths, I asked if I could see him. She agreed and led me to his bedroom. When I entered the room, I viewed what was no longer my best friend, but now just a stiffened corpse. A shell. I knew he was no longer in this body. I cannot describe the loss and sadness that I felt at that moment. I stayed with the Washingtons for the next several days, grieving the loss of my greatest friend. But, as a physician, I also thought of how to fix the problem of death. For everything, there is a cure, I thought to myself. Many of those cures have been discovered, but many still have not. After hearing the aforementioned story of the young deceased man returning to life, I thought about the many instances of this that I'd learned of in the past, and the few times that I'd witnessed it. Thus far, nobody has discovered a cure for death. I believe that if anybody could do it, it would have to be me with my top-level medical education and my many years of experience in the field. I presented my theories to Martha, I told her of the many cases of death that had ended with life. I told her of my experiences with them, and those of others. I even laid out my plans as to how I could achieve George's return. My initial exam of the body, coupled with eyewitness accounts of those who had seen him in his final hours, leads me to the conclusion that George died from loss of blood and loss of air. If we restore these, along with the heat that had been lost, I believe that we will see George open his eyes again. 'Alas, Martha didn't think it possible, and did not give her approval. I'm not going to lie, this makes me angry. This was my best friend on the entire planet. I don't want to watch him disappear without being given a fighting chance, or at least being given the option himself. The cold winter weather had aided in keeping George's body frozen, warding off the possibility of decomposition. It's important that we keep everything in order if this is going to work. I shall begin my work late tonight. December 17th. 
I'm beginning my work tonight. It's just after midnight, Monday night, Tuesday morning. Everyone appears to be asleep, allowing me to work without interruption or suspicion. I will document my process here. 12.30 a.m. In the small adjoining building where we're keeping the body, I've set up a tub in which to thaw him with cold water. This should bring the temperature up at a safe enough pace to avoid any damage to his organs. 1.30 a.m. The thawing process is working, and the body is no longer frozen solid. I'm now going to move him to a bed of blankets that I've set up, where I will slowly warm him by a few degrees at a time and allow his blood vessels to start working. 2 a.m. I am now opening the lung passage through tracheotomy. Once this is done, I will inflate George's lungs with air and create artificial respiration. 2.36 a.m. The artificial respiration is now in place. I'm now about to perform a blood transfusion using the blood of a lamb. 4.02 a.m. The transfusion is complete. I'm now lighting a fire in a stove in order to warm the room. 4.35 a.m. The body is starting to appear warmer, blood is flowing, and the respiration continues. George looks like he's merely sleeping now. I must now get some sleep myself so I may continue in a refreshed state to make sure I don't commit any mistakes in the process. I will lock the door of this building to make sure that nobody walks in and harms my work. 9.15 AM I awoke in my rooming quarters to the sound of people walking around the house. The smell of freshly made coffee enticed me out of bed. After grabbing a cup, I headed out to the building where I left George, trying to remain inconspicuous. I unlocked the door and headed over toward my improvised operating room. What I saw was exhilarating. President Washington's body was breathing with the aid of the artificial respirator I had created. And judging by the color of the skin, the blood appeared to be flowing. 10 p.m. I checked on George once again to see how he was progressing. The blood was still flowing, and the lungs appeared to still be working. But he hadn't opened his eyes yet. I decided to leave him until morning. December 18th, 6.15 a.m. I have made a grave mistake. Shortly after midnight, I awoke to the sound of a woman's screams. I jumped out of bed, grabbed my lantern, and headed to the door. I peered out into the hallway, which was only faintly lit by its own lantern. Looking in both directions, I saw nothing. So I ran toward the main living quarters. Is everyone okay? I asked aloud, to no reply. I continued at a slower pace down the hallway. Noticing that one of the bedroom doors was open, I said, hello? into the doorway, with only silence in response. I heard a clatter. Is everything okay? I held my lantern inside of the doorway to see if anybody was there. Somebody was. There, on the bed, was the still body of one of the female employees, lifeless. Her face appeared bloodied. 
Upon closer examination, her face also appeared to be shredded with bite marks, like something was trying to eat her. I ran out into the hallway and screamed, Everybody, get up, get up, as I banged on all the bedroom doors. A few people came out asking what was going on. I'm not sure, but we've got a woman lying dead without a face in her bedroom right now. There might be a wild animal or a murderer on the loose somewhere in the house. Everybody gather, now. If anybody has a weapon, bring it. I spotted Martha emerging into the hallway. I asked her where George kept his weapons. She took me to the room and opened the doors for me. What was inside was a virtual candy store of items. Flintlocks, swords, the famed Braddock pistols, and a variety of rifles. I readied a pistol, grabbed a sword, and headed back to the open area where everyone else was waiting. One of the employees pointed out some muddy footprints coming in from one of the outside doorways. We looked around and found similar prints leading to several of the rooms of the house. A few of them volunteered to come with me to try and seek out and stop the assailant. A couple of them had their own pistols, but the others I instructed to grab what they could out of the weapons room. I asked Martha to go to her bedroom and lock the door for her safety. I and the others started following the footprints. We followed them into the kitchen, where we saw another body on the floor without much of a face left, just like the first one. The employees let out gasps at this sight. I asked them to remain calm and stick together, and to be ready but not anxious. Our safety was paramount. We exited the kitchen and started checking the rooms one by one, making sure everybody was safe. After clearing several rooms, we came upon one that made me uneasy. The door was slightly ajar, and I heard some strange sounds from inside. Everyone was suddenly quiet. Looking around at everyone, I moved slowly toward the door, and then pushed it slightly, opening it just wide enough to see inside. The door opened to pitch black. I motioned to one of the others to hold their lantern up in front of the door. What we saw when the light shone through the doorway was a visage that I hoped to never see again. A figure that bore a slight resemblance to George was hovering over a bed, where an obviously dead body was laying. The creature appeared to be tearing the body apart with its teeth. The monster stopped, turned, and stared back directly into the lantern light. Its eyes glowed with the lantern's reflection. Whatever this creature was, was not human, or no longer human. Its flesh was rotting, and there appeared to be a pool of blood forming beneath where it stood, as if it was leaking from him. I don't know if it was angry, or excited to see more food, but it suddenly launched across the room in our direction. One of the employees shot at the creature, another followed suit. This seemed to do nothing more than temporarily stun the creature, which then continued moving toward us. Except now, it was much more angry. It growled like a vicious animal. George! I yelled at it. It stopped moving, then shifted its eyes slowly until they stared directly at me. George, it's me, your friend William. I've come 
come here to help you. We are here to help you. The creature just continued staring at me. Did he recognize me? I wasn't sure. George, you can stop now. I said. It had a look on its face as if it understood. A few seconds later, he started walking toward me again. A shot came from my side, landing directly in the center of his forehead. He then stopped moving and fell straight down into a heap on the floor. I looked to my side and realized that it was one of the frightened employees who fired the shot. I couldn't blame them. They were defending me, themselves, and everyone else. I bent down over George, looking closely at his once again lifeless body. I felt tears welling up in my eyes. I wept. After a minute, I stood up, and I knew what I had to do. I couldn't allow the possibility of him reanimating again. Whatever was in that body was no longer my friend. Rather, something evil that had taken his place. Perhaps his brain had become tainted from spending so long without blood or oxygen. I drew George's sword from my side, raised it high in the air, and came down upon the back of his neck with a force strong enough that the head dropped clean off. We made a decision to put him in a lead coffin, claiming to authorities that it was because we wanted to eventually move him to the U.S. Capitol. But that really had nothing to do with it. That's just how you have to bury zombies to make sure they can't get out if they do rise again. These notes are not to be made public. They're more from me so that I can remember. The American public will never learn of this dark final chapter. They will remember George Washington as the brave general, the family man, the first president of the United States, and a founding father of his nation. George Washington died the night of December 14, 1799. Nothing that happened after that shall be recorded. Dr. William Thornton Well, I hope you enjoyed tonight's presentation as much as I did. Perhaps we should add another bullet point to George's resume. Military leader, founding father, first president, and first zombie of the United States. Until next time, sweet nightmares. <laughs>